There are certain things that we just don't want to talk about because it's uncomfortable or we feel so ashamed or embarrassed by it. But the reality is there are a lot of things that we have to address whether we like it or not. On today's podcast, we're going to be diving into a particular sin, a perverted sin known as sexual sin. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and let's get into it. Well, hey there, my friends. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez with you. As always, blessed to be with you guys as we study 1 Corinthians 5 together today. We're now entering a new chapter in our chronological study uh, throughout Paul's epistles. If you've missed out at any previous podcast, I encourage you guys to check things out wherever you download and get your podcasts. And always encouraging guys and so appreciative of you guys taking the time to leave us a review wherever you get your podcast, whether it's on SoundCloud or Spotify or Apple, whatever the case may be, leave a review, share this podcast. I was communicating with just some recent new listeners and people that were sending in um, heartfelt prayers and support, and I'm so thankful. It means a lot to me, you guys. So thank you for that in advance. So this is podcast 229, where we left things off in the last two episodes. We were talking about the cure for division in the church. And one of the biggest things that we looked at in examining that particular chapter was about humility. It was about Paul using himself as an example. And today, when we are dealing with issues of division, the last thing you want is a leader who is all about themselves. They don't put the needs of other people ahead of the of, of them. And so this is so important, my friends, that as we're now transitioning into a place where it's very uncomfortable, but we need to talk about it. When I was writing the book, Challenging Conversations, in dealing with issues in the church regard, regarding divorce and remarriage, pornography, when talking about substance abuse, mental illness, these are a lot of stigmatized uh, things or thing, uh, you know, people who suffer in these particular areas or are struggling or giving themselves into, like for example, substance abuse and, and addiction to pornography, they're, they're marginalized to some degree. And it makes a lot of us feel uncomfortable because of just the content at, at hand, but also the sensitivity of many people where they're at. Because some of this stuff is a, is a privatized sin. You wouldn't know it publicly. And as difficult as, as it was for me to, to write that as I was researching and having many conversations with individuals and pastors and professionals in the, in the psychological space, you know, in the counseling space, we have to talk about it. And the, the reality also is, is one, to, to save a soul, Lord willing, but also that if this perpetuates, if this continues to... It, you know, worsen in the life of this person, it can spread like, again, leaven. And we're going to be talking about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 in the next podcast. And so what's what's happening is, is there is a particular sin that has, that has entered in the arena of the church among the community of, of fellow believers. And this is addressing a case of incest. Now, I, I want to say Right off the bat, as someone who was molested as a child and the person who violated me and a few other family members, and I was very young 
probably first, second grade, if I remember, there was no justice. And I even remember having family members who didn't really believe that that was happening to me or that that individual, that family member was capable of doing what they did. And the reality is, my friends, many of you listening have been sexually abused. You've been physically abused, been verbally abused. And my heart breaks for you. And I couldn't imagine what Paul was facing these challenges. It's one thing when you're hearing about false teachers who are trying to indoctrinate, who are trying to brainwash, who are trying to lead them astray. And certainly in, throughout his letters, he addressed false teachers, false shepherds, and was notifying and warning people that this is not of the Lord. Well, then you have to also deal with the aspect of, uh, you know, having um, people who are taking advantage of one another. And in this case, another family, family member with another family member. And I know this is awkward at times and it could be uncomfortable, but here on this podcast, as you guys know, we do expository verse by verse teaching as best as I can with the time allotted to me in each episode where I prayerfully, you know, go into the study of God's word chronologically. We started with the gospels. You know, it's been years as we're just slowly going through the New Testament and we need this. And so there are times when you fall upon a passage of scripture, I have no clue what the writer is really intending. And I, in every time with reverence, Lord, I do not want to take your scripture out of context. And then you come upon a passage like this where dealing with incest is something that uh, thankfully my family uh, really has never dealt with. Uh, had to praise God. I now I've had many cases as a pastor working in the church and even in my travels as a, as a speaker, uh, a Christian speaker that I've had people share these kind of stories. And there's been times where we had to report it to uh, the authorities in the church to then get uh, law enforcement involved, particularly if it's dealing with a minor or if you have a woman who's in, you know, in a position where she needs to get out. So, you know, when we look at scripture here, Paul does not evade it. Paul doesn't ignore it. Paul doesn't set it aside, doesn't put it on the back burner. He, he deals with it. And as such, we as Christians need to do the same. You know, you, you can easily just say, yeah, let's just not, you know, let's just kind of, you know, highlight a little bit, but not really call out the sin because I, I'm, I'm going to assume that people that come to my church uh, addressing the case of incest isn't something that's relatable to them. Praise God. Well, you know what? Sadly, that's not the case. That is not the case. And so we have to talk about it. And so I'm sensitive also to many of my listeners out there where you've gone through hell, you've gone through a lot of things. And maybe this is the first time you've had a, a sermon, if you will, a teaching on this type of horrific sin. And I just pray, know that I pray that God would use us to heal you, to bring healing, not maybe completely right off the bat, but it's a start to find healing and restoration and to find peace once again and forgiveness Maybe you're in a situation and you're going to hear this and you're going to have to do something about it. And I just pray that you reach out to us, info at standstrongministries.org and know that my wife and me and my team, uh, we will look at it, we will keep it in confidence and we will help you wherever you're at to get you the help that you need. So with that being said, my friends, as we do now look at this uh, passage, I just pray that, again that 
that our hearts are receptive to what God would have us learn. So there's sexual immorality that is taking place, specifically incest, and it's defiling not only these people that are involved in this horrific sin, but it also defiles the church. So as we just talked about the carnality in 1 Corinthians 3, we talked about the division in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and how to deal with it. Now, specifically, Paul's dealing with the sexual morality. So when carnality continues to grow, when division continues to grow, and people are doing their own things, what they believe is right in their own eyes, this is what happens. So Paul says here now in verse one of chapter five of 1 Corinthians, it is actually reported. So meaning he's like stunned by this report that there is sexual morality among you. Now, obviously, He's speaking the porneia, which has a lot of different meanings, but he gets specific now about what this type of porneia is. And because he says here, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, people who are not even professing as Christians who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and there's forgiveness. Even people who are worldly and hedonistic, they don't even cross a line with this type of porneia. He says, for a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Okay, so let's just jump right into this uh, uh, passage of scripture to kind of see what is actually taking place, what is actually transpiring here uh, in in scripture and, and, and to make sure that we're actually seeing uh, you know, truth prevail. That there's, you know, proper confrontation and that truth will prevail in this situation with this man. Now, Paul moves his way from, again, dealing with division in the church as you even go back to chapter one, verse 11, to now where he's confronting a particular porneia or sexual morality known as incest, meaning uh, two family members who are sexually engaging one another. Now, as I mentioned, this is an accurate translation, uh, and I'm reading from the, the English Standard Version of sexual morality. Now, most commentaries believe that this man has his father's wife, that he was having a sexual relationship with his stepmom, who was probably a lot younger than this man's father. Now, as we know, the Old Testament speaks to this. It prohibits su- such sexual behavior. If you go back to Leviticus 18, verse 8, specifically forbids this kind of relationship. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 30, it states, and I quote, a man shall not take his father's wife so that he does not uncover his father's nakedness. Not to mention even Rome, even the Roman law explicitly prohibited sexual relationships between relatives. And the punishment against the offender would be loss of land, uh, exile, or the reduction in social status. And this is important because, again, this is, this is transcultural. This is something that is not just mentioned in, like I said, in, in, in Jewish law. This isn't just something that Moses mentioned uh, to the nomads when they were going into the promised land. Uh, this is transcultural. It applies to all people at all times and all places. God never intended, God did not design family members 
to have sexual relationships with each other. And so even Rome would punish the offender. Yet what's happening in verse two is he says, you guys are arrogant. Ought you not rather mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So up to this point, remember Paul was pointing out to the Corinthians, you guys don't boast in the flesh. Don't boast in man-made stuff. He says that going back to chapter one, verses 29 through 31 to chapter three, verses 21, chapter four, verses six and eight and verses 18 through 19. So when he's calling them out saying you guys are arrogant, the word is in the emphatic. It's capturing the incongruity of their attitude, meaning it does not make any sense. You guys are, you have no basis. There's no foundational uh, basis or claim or support for you guys to be this arrogant where you're not mourning and you're basically letting this guy get away with this type of sexual perversion. Now, if you dive in a little deeper to kind of set the stage, it's very clear where Paul's coming from as an apostle with his authority. And he's calling it out. What a great leader. He's calling it out. He's not going to let this spread. You know, sadly, I got to say, and it was not with incest, but it was some sexual sin. A particular leader, a prominent leader gets away with having basically an emotional affair. As far as I know, could have been more than that. And when the leadership doesn't really, ad they address it, but they don't deal with it. The guy wasn't removed. And before long, another member of this prominent ministry, another member on staff was having an affair. And you see that that's what happens is there's this arrogance. And then when you don't call it out, uh, you know, th this is what will happen. It will spread. So we know where Paul's coming from. We know that this man is caught in this type of sexual perversion. But let's understand the third party here, the people that Paul's addressing, the Corinthians, because he's not addressing directly this individual. It's been reported to him that this has taken place. So let's understand if we can, from what we have here in scripture, the state of mind the Corinthians were in. Okay, so the Corinthians, it seems, were they were hesitant or, or even I would use the word reluctant to deal with this matter. So that is to say, I guarantee for the most part that most of these Corinthians, especially those who put their faith and trust in Jesus and left the hedonistic, left the paganistic lifestyle. Again, the, the vast majority of them weren't even doing ancestral things. And so they were probably reluctant um, and you're thinking, well, why were they reluctant? They knew it was wrong. Well, probably for the, for the, the very idea or, or more than likely I, I, when I look into this culturally speaking in the first century in Corinth, I think that the matter at hand was that this individual who was having sexual relations with his stepmom at best, right. Was an individual of high status. Okay. And so he had probably a lot of money in the community. He probably uh, funded a lot of things, provided a lot of jobs. Maybe he had sway legally um, with the judge in that town. And so it allowed him to perform these reprehensible behavior. Now, the NIV application commentary says, quote, the church's reaction to this affair was as bad or worse uh, than the affair itself. Instead of grieving over sin in their midst, they were actually smug over their newfound enlightened tolerance as Christians. Paul recoils in horror. They must rather remove this man from their midst or from the fellowship. That no mention is made. 
of removing the woman suggests she was not a church member to begin with, end quote. So that does give us some perspective. Again, there's not a lot here, so we have to get into the realm of speculation. But I do think that it applies given the words in Greek about this arrogance that he, Paul, uses, you're not mourning, uh, meaning that they, they weren't endorsing clearly this, but they weren't dealing with it because they were reluctant because it seemed like this man was a prominent figure. He had he had status, and this is clearly, uh, which is also similar to to what Paul addresses in the with the Romans, is that you know you have this church member who's involved uh, in this in sexual relationship. And they're not addressing it. And it also speaks to the lack of grace and knowledge and maturity. Remember, that's what I was getting at is when you go back to Romans, you also see Paul addresses this distorted view that they had of grace. Romans 6, 1 through 4, let me read it for you. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So instead of saying, well, you know, we're saved by grace and, you know, Jesus could just forgive this individual of sin. No, that is abusing grace. That is a misunderstanding of what grace is all about. And then instead, what Paul's saying is you guys should be you guys should be mourning over this, that, that this man is committing such an act. And you should also be mourning over the fact of how it's affecting um, the people around him and also the church. So rather than overlook the sin out of fear, Paul's challenging the Corinthians to feel the weight of this sin. By not dealing with the sin, if you think about this is so true in our own lives and our own churches, when we don't deal with the sin among the people, the sin will eventually affect the community, causing greater problems down the road. My friend, I've seen that in my own life and I've seen that in the church as a pastor and I've seen that in ministry as a ministry leader. And what we need to do is we need to mourn over it. So, so, so notice the, the, the approach here. This isn't, we don't come in arrogance. Paul says, matter of fact, what's, being, what's, what's arrogant about this whole situation is that you guys are allowing this guy to think he's above this and that you guys think that it's okay. And, and, and what is despicable is that you're not mourning. So, so that's the point. You don't come, you know, um, you know, arrogantly to, to say you're better than this person and to cast him out and that he needs to beg on his knees in order for you guys to accept him again and bring him back into the fold, but to mourn over this because we know that it breaks the heart of God. So what do you do? He says, be removed. He says, this man, the action needs to, that you guys need to take is that this person needs to be removed. That's what he, Paul's insisting that the Corinthians do. They don't give a pass to this man. You wouldn't give a pass to a man who is wanting to be in leadership, professing to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and he's having premarital sex with a, with a, with a person that he plans on marrying, but hasn't yet. You wouldn't give a pass to that person. So why, in a greater sin, when somebody's caught in an incestual relationship, no matter what his status is in the community, you need to act and you need to remove this person. The Greek word that we see here in the ESV for removed is, it is also the word to, to carry away. And it, and it has the weight of a definitive result. Okay, so it's when you, when you need to remove something, remove something from where it's currently at. So if I, if I get my wheelbarrow in the backyard and I need to remove 
these these uh, branches. And I, I pick them up and I put them in my wheelbarrow and I move them over to my fire pit. Okay, that is a definitive result. I take them from one place to burn them in another place. I carried them away. So this man was not to be present. He was not to have input. He was not to be communicating because he was in this public sin. Now, remember, it was very common in ancient Greek culture for residents to discipline members in the community, you know, provided that it, did, it didn't exceed, you know, Roman law. So in this case, the man should have received this type of discipline among the members. He should have been put out of fellowship from the church. See, that's a direct consequence, my friends, especially if the man is trying to, you know, like, again, if this woman who is his stepmom married to his father, we don't know what happened to his father. We don't know if he divorced or he died. And then, and this woman is left to be more than likely that he was still alive. Okay. Because uh, in that case, he could have just said, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to marry her, uh, even though she was probably in a lower status. And oftentimes it's very common. Older men would marry younger women. Okay. But this was a, this was unacceptable. So they needed to be put out of the fellowship. That was a consequence of that particular sin. And so Paul in verse three recognizes that obviously he's not present. He's writing a letter, but he's letting them know by using legal language to convey to the Corinthians to initiate proceedings to remove the man that's committing this, in, this incest uh, from the church. Now, of course, this is not applicable to the woman because more than likely she was not a member of the church. So that's why he's speaking directly to the church about this man. Though I'm absent in the body, he says I'm present in the spirit. I have already pronounced judgment, meaning I already know that this is sin. And that's why I'm communicating with you guys in this. In verse four, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, the usage of this term implies that there was a client patron relationship the Corinthians had with this man. So when you are assembled, so they knew this man. Okay, they just didn't know what he was up to. They knew him, this, this client patron relationship. And I love this when Paul says, my spirit is present. Now, remember, he was not saying that he came in his own authority. What he was saying is that I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that we all have been de delegated authority in the name of Jesus Christ. And so he was encouraging the Corinthians to do the right thing and to know that he had their back, that he was there with them in spirit as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And, and he, he came in the power of Jesus. And you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said in John 5, 27, that he has been given all authority by his father to judge because he is the son of man. And that was the profession of faith that Paul had. That was the man, the son of man who called him out of darkness into light to proclaim the truth to the people before him, not just to the Gentiles, not to the, not just to the Jews, but also to Kings. And Paul recognized his limitations. He recognized that he came in the power of the Lord Jesus that he knows that this sin is wrong because it violates the very commandments of God, which is truth. And so that's what he tells him now in verse five. And this is a bit confusing because he says, you are to deliver this man uh, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So that's the direct result. So notice, as we were just saying earlier, when this word be removed from among you, the, the, the definitive result is to carry away this man. And now we also have another situation here in verse five that you are to deliver this man uh, to Satan with a definitive result for the destruction of the flesh. So not only 
is the consequence for him to be removed from the fellowship so that he doesn't affect other people. And hopefully in repentance, he learns not just his lesson, but he repents of his sin and he turns back to the Lord. And hopefully this individual that he's having this incestual relationship with comes to Jesus Christ as well. But there's also a direct result, this deliverance. So not only do are you to deliver him out, to remove him, to carry him out, he is then to be delivered into the hands of Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Man, talk about a contrast. And see, it was necessary for Paul to exert this apostolic authority over this situation because that's what happens in our society, unfortunately, is once we deem something to be morally good and acceptable, culturally, politically, just like what happened with abortion after time, a new generation rose up when, when abortion was legal, they therefore believed it to be moral. And so if Paul did not exert his authority, if he didn't really push the Corinthians to do the right thing, this man who was trapped in sin and he was seeking him to re be repentive, hey, this has happened before. And this is times, my friends, we have to do this. First Timothy 1.20, Paul mentions two other individuals, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. That's, that's the point. Why did you hand him over to Satan? Hymenaeus and Alexander in 1 Timothy 1 is so that they would no longer blaspheme. Why is he telling the church when they assemble together and to exert the authority that Christ has given them to kick him out of fellowship is so that he would repent. But not only that, but because of this guy's status and because of the perpetual sin and the arrogance on full display, this man will, will face destruction of the flesh. And you think, well, what is he talking about? Well, the Greek word here for flesh is sarx. It refers actually to the human body. Now, this is important because it's in contrast with the spirit. See, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, Paul stated, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So when you combine the tune, the, or excuse me, if you combine the two the, in identical fashion, Paul's asserting that this man caught in an incestual relationship needs to feel the weight of his sexual sin in hopes of repenting. So you think, what does that mean? Well, what it means, and I believe, is that he will receive uh, STDs, that he will, he will see uh, the sickness, if you will, of his own heart, and that physically he will become ill and sick. Because when you do things that, for, that, that go against God, there will be consequences mentally, spiritually, physically. And you see that oftentimes when people are having sex with people outside of marriage, there are going to be consequences. People will, they, they will contract STDs. And in many cases, and I have actually friends who've come to Christ after living, um, you know, promiscuous lifestyles, they, they you know, or, or, you know, drugs, they, they contracted um, HIV. That's a direct consequence. That's the destruction of the flesh. If you want to give into the, if you want to sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption, the Bible says, Galatians 6, 8. So we may not know specifically what this actually means, the destruction of the flesh handing over to Satan, but you go from being in the household of God where there's forgiveness and grace and the empowerment to overcome the bondage of sin, that you're no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to Christ, to now being handed over to Satan who comes to kill, steal, and destroy and so the pleasures you give it in the flesh and, and then you realize that the results of it, what actually comes, you, you don't feel fulfilled. You don't feel comforted. You don't feel the pleasures are worth it. 
because you see these consequences. Maybe you felt that. I'm sure you have. And then he says, spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But one day, Lord willing, his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now the NIV study Bible note says this quote, so that being officially ostracized from the church will cause the man such anguish that he will repent and forsake his wicked way. For an alternative interpretation, it says you you know you can look look to see another explanation. But the latter point of this, uh, the the NIV Study Bible saying is that Satan is allowed to bring physical affliction on this man, which would bring him to repentance. Hopefully, he might even be allowed to die. But as a Christian, he would still be saved in eternity. So maybe his, his life would end because of a sickness that he got as a result of being with this woman. Now, another account that we see similar to this, but not within sexual sin, but people who chose to lie to the Holy spirit and with their pleasures and their greed, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter five, verse one through 11. I mean, what happened to them? They died. It was a direct consequence of their sin. They died. And then we, we know in 1 John 5, 19 that the whole world is under the sway of, the, of Satan of wickedness. But the, but the truth of the matter is that doesn't give us an excuse to continue on sinning. The day will come soon, I pray, and I believe wholeheartedly, and I pray you do as well, that Christ will restore all things and that he will one day rule and reign for eternity in this world. So my friends, as I close, one of the things is like, if you have been a victim of sin and abuse in your life, I pray that you get help. I pray you are getting help. And I'm so glad you're listening. And I pray that you'll have a Paul in your life or that you have a church that is not going to ignore this. They're not going to be arrogant about it. They're not going to be flipping about it. They're going to, they're going to deal with it the way that the scriptures tells us to. And if you are a leader, because we have a lot of pastors who listen to this podcast, which I'm very honored and blessed to have so many of my dear brothers out there who are shepherding the flocks among them. Thank you for your service, by the way. Know that I'm praying for you. And I know it's a tall task. Been in the trenches with a lot of you. And it's not easy. But if there is this type of sin that's creeping up, any, any form of sin of parnea that you will deal with, my friends, that you will not turn a blind eye. But that you'll be there for the people that need you to be there. And, and, and to be encouraged to do the right thing, to stand up against sin, to call it out and to remove it. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the next podcast, removing sin in verses six through eight. So in this case, you have to take immediate action and that's what they were doing. And so I pray my friends for you that if there's any form of sin in your life, any type of thing that you've kind of buried, that you've kept, I've known that when, when it has crippled me and you think that you can get away with it sometimes because you abuse grace. That is not a life filled with the Holy Spirit. I was grieving and quenching the work of the Spirit. And when you confess your sins before Him and you confess your sins before one another, you know God could do a mighty great work in your life and I pray that you will let Him do that. So my friends, if you have listened to it to the very end, as I'm recording this, I'm excited to announce that we have a new resource for our listening audience out there that I encourage you guys to pick up. You can get it wherever books are sold. 
but you can definitely go to Amazon right here, right now. You can get the audio, the audio, you can get the Kindle, or you can get the hardback cover of my new book, Hijacking Jesus, How Progressive Christians Are Remaking Him and Taking Over the Church. And as I'm recording this, it's already hit number one as the hot new release on Amazon in theology, and it's fastly becoming the number one book in the top 10 right now uh, in Christian social issues uh, and other categories as well. So thank you for those who have already, if you're listening to this and you said, yeah, I got your book, I downloaded it. Man, praise God. Thank you so much. And also do me a favor, leave us a review on Amazon. As you know, you guys, this continues to help build the presence of this most important book that exposes the false images of Jesus through progressive Christians and teaches us how to affirm, to protect, and to preserve the doctrines of Jesus when it comes to his divinity, that he's fully God, fully man, when it comes to his virgin birth, his miracles, his atonement, his resurrection, and his second coming. And I teach you guys biblically, theologically, historically, and spiritually how to refute the false claims that progressives use to deny those doctrines of Jesus. In the end, my friends, here on this podcast, we teach God's word as the infallible word of God, that his word cannot be broken according to John 10, 35. That we are set free by the truth of his word that's inspired by God, is revealed by God, it's carried out by the Holy Spirit, and it's been written down by faithful 40 authors who were obedient to seek the Lord and do his will. And we have the canonization of scripture before us. That's what we hold fast to. And so when we open the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, we see who Jesus Christ truly is. And my passion to writing hijacking Jesus is to expose not just the falsities, not just the faulty thinking, but to show you guys the deception, the outright deception and this takeover that they are having right now in many domains, in homes, in churches, and it needs to stop. Just like Paul called out this sin, we need to call out these false teachers and stand for God's truth no matter the cost. So please get your copy. If you have any questions, you can reach out to us at info at stanstrongministries.org. You can always go to stanstrongministries.org website. There you can find all the resources that we have, including this podcast that's made available for you guys. So thank you, my friends. Until next time, keep standing strong in the word of God. (music) 